Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of The Fanatic, PW's twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat, the news site of comics culture, and you can find us on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. And on social media, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And don't forget, you can also let us know what you think of this podcast by giving us a rating or giving us a comment, leaving us a comment, and letting us know how we're doing because we love to hear from you Dear listeners, drop us a line. Okay, this week on More to Come, Julie Doucet wins the Angolan Grand Prix. Bravo. Uh, um, David Steinberger, uh, ankles, comicsology, um, uh, Volt gets cash investors, media roundup, DC's big pride initiative, and DC's big milestone initiative. So, hey, Julie Doucet. Yeah, I mean, there's not too much more than the headline. Uh, she won the Grand Prix. And uh, this year, all three nominees for the prize were uh, women, which is a first. Oh, but the great. Grand Prix at Angoulême is the kind of a lifetime achievement award. It really is one of the premier um, awards given out in the comics world. Uh, so it was between Julie Doucet, uh, Catherine Maurice, and um, uh, Penelope Joux, I'm sure I'm oh, butchering really their names. Sorry for my very bad French pronunciation. It is better than mine. So, uh, but, and you know, honestly, I thought one of the two French authors would yeah. win. So I, was, I think there was a little bit of surprise for Julie. Not that it was, you know, not deserved. All well, three were deserving. To but. be fair, they might have split the French vote. That is true. Hmm, that is go. true. Yeah. So, uh, the first Canadian woman to win, uh, awesome. the, uh, the, fr- I think she might be the first Canadian to oh, win okay. the Grand Prix. But, uh, she was, uh, she said, uh, she was very, uh, overwhelmed winning the prize. And she says, it's hard to believe it all began from nothing, from a little fanzine in the eighties with a dirty little name. And now I find <laughs> myself receiving the most important prize in the comics industry. Um, yeah. And she has a new book out this year, she Calvin. Does Have you read it? I have indeed read it. Oh, yeah. And, uh, we, there, we also, uh, at PW, we did a, an author profile of her, uh, because, I mean, she kind of, I mean, she has been doing some comics, right? But she has been away from the medium for so a she, number of years. She has been doing collage mm-hmm. comics that are, to be honest, are pretty, um, ephemeral as far as the storyline goes. So yeah. I don't know. Does this new book have a storyline to it? This book definitely has oh, a story. Okay. Kind of, I, I would have to say it, 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 it has to categorize, you have to call it really one of the most innovative comics probably I've seen recently, uh, both in its drawing style and its narrative. It's a kind of free flowing narrative and visual style, but there is a strong story element to it. And it's really the history of a love affair that she had in the late nineties. Uh, it's very powerful. She talks in the profile about how it's from a particular time in your life when you're lung, when you're young, excuse me. And, Obviously, when these kinds of affairs are pure and sincere, uh, which I think sort of led to the title that we gave it, Fearless Sincerity. It's, uh, uh, it was written by uh, Shannon Garrity. 
Um, uh, it really is an amazing book. Uh, the, it, there are no panels, mm-hmm. but the story flows. Mm-hmm. I, I know it's, it's, it's almost like a psychedelic, you know, lava lamp of yeah. narrative and pictures. And yet you can follow what's happening. Okay. But it's dreamlike and. Cause I mean, her, yeah, her most recent work has been very, very, I would say abstract, sort of abstract story wise. Like mm-hmm. it does have images, but, uh, you know, she said she didn't want to draw. Like she, uh, I think this award is a really just wonderful vindication for her because she really did say that, um, she was kind of forced to leave the comics driven industry, out. just be driven out by the sexism that she encountered yeah. and the old boys network. And, uh, she's never been quiet about that. And to see yeah. her when the, the, the Grand Prix is really awesome. And of course that means that you get to, um, be the marshal of next year's, uh, festival. And, uh, so 2023, she will be the, the grand marshal and she gets, mm-hmm. you know, you get to, uh, have a, have a say in some of the, uh, the, um, the exhibits and the programming. Yes. Okay. Remember not to say yes. I know. Yes. Um, and I mean, speaking of the speaking of the old boys network, I mean, Angle M is by far not immune to this. No. So Lord, it's no. I mean, we've we've uh, covered some Angle M sexism scandals in the past. Um, not to mention the fact that she's only the third woman to win the prize, and it's been around a long time. And there's certainly no shortage of women making comics. Um, the fact that someone who was driven out by that sexism has now won not only a major prize, but this major prize. Sure. Yeah. I think that's extra meaningful. Yeah. It's a real, it's a really wonderful, it's a wonderful win because, uh, she deserves it. And, um, but also just as, um, you know, like I said, vindication, you know, I'll give a plug. Uh, there's a book. That came out. Boy, you probably can't. Oh, it says you can get it. I'm looking on Amazon. It's called uh, my new my new New York Diary, mm. uh, and it's kind of a collaboration between her and Michelle Gondry, the director. Oh, right, yeah. And if you recall, it's really like uh, came out in that kind of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind period of Gondry, and it's a kind of bit of a puzzle because. The, the film is about the comic, but also the comic is about the film, and you're like, how did, how, how did they do that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a nice little, uh, mystery, but, uh, you know, all of her work is, is amazing, and, uh, you know, it's published sure. by Drawn Quarterly, so, yeah, congrats, Julie. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, hey, and talk about another sort of, you know, groundbreaker, uh, in yeah. a, in a, a, it's a comic story, but another, another part of the comics world. Uh, David Steinberger, uh, co-founder of Comixology, um, the Amazon is now Amazon's digital comics marketplace, uh, kind of has taken over uh, under Steinbrenner. It, he, under his leadership, it became essentially the dominant place to buy digital comics. Change the industry, change how people consume. Um, I believe it broadened comics overall. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you want a comic, you go to Comicsology to get it. He made it the industry leader. Uh, he made it the best in class. Absolutely. <laughs> Which, of course, is why Amazon acquired it in yes, 2014. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting that he is leaving now to take over a new Amazon-wide initiative. Uh, um, uh, apparently, it's somewhat different from comics but we don't know yeah it's uh, a little mystery yeah it's Mysterious. a bit of a mystery 
Um, uh, but, you know, David has a great reputation. I mean, it's interesting. I think we can all remember when uh, physical retailers were terrified <sighs> of the impact of comics. Oh, they still are. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't encounter that much now, but maybe you do, you know. Well, I mean, not comicsology in particular, but you still have the okay i'm trying to kind of find a polite term for this hmm. i don't want to say anything to imply that they are elderly because they're not they're the same age as many reactionary <laughs> reactionary yes yes it's nothing to do with age and has everything to do with reactionariness reactionary comic store owners uh still vacillate wildly between no one will ever read digital books they will never be a success uh, and how dare they release this first on digital how dare they yeah, well, uh, no doubt uh, they're still at it but mm. comicsology has basically proven them wrong on both fronts that yes it will continue to make money even if it's not killing the Yes, it will continue to make money, and no, it will not kill the comic store. Uh, nope. <laughs> it just yeah. it just adds to the pie of money instead of yeah. taking and some I, of it away. I think that's the overwhelming um, attitude throughout the industry. I mean, there are some reactionary pockets out there, but uh, you know, even in Japan, where they were super Absolutely. super resistant to digital comics, even they are beginning to They're come, come around. around well, in a big way. The publishers have come around. Yes. I think some of the comic store owners. Have mm-hmm. not, but on the other hand, some of them have not come around to not putting girly posters on their ceilings. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, you know, this uh, getting back to the main point of the the news item, though. Um, you know, I do think David is a class act. Yes, I, he's really been so uh, forthright. In his dealings and, you know, very much he recountered this reactionary resistance that Kate was talking about, um, right from the start. And instead of getting angry or mad, he found a way to address it and to, uh, to stick with it. And, you know, he put up with a lot. He yeah. put up with a yeah. lot in those early years. Yeah. I remember, I remember when Comixology went to the retailer summit. And he's sitting all by himself, and I was the only person who would talk to him. So, you know, there is... <laughs> who's laughing now? Yes, That's who's right. laughing now? And let's remember also, uh, you know, David and his co- and his, excuse me, and his co-founders, um, uh, John Roberts and Peter Jaffe, uh, mm-hmm. Jaff, am I saying that right, Jaffe? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, comicsology was always kind of designed to integrate itself within the world as it was. Yes. Yeah. He created... Uh, entry points for retailers, whether they wanted it or not. He created systems that tried to replicate. Yes, he did. Uh, uh, he created systems that would try to send people into comics shops and into bookstores. And ultimately, yeah. I think that's his legacy is that that's what happened. Uh, Comicsology became a great sampling service and it, and it actually has promoted comics reading across the board in this new era, this explosion of genre comics, uh, creation that we're living in right now. Yeah. Right. So, uh, comics yeah. readers are comics readers. Yeah, so I, I just, you They know, are fungible. Yeah. Yes. He did not, um, you know, he, he didn't invent the idea of digital comics, but he certainly made it, he made it real. He, he, he made, made it real. real. He made it accessible. He made it work in, uh, as a business model. Yes. Within a world of print, uh, publishing yeah. and retailing. Right. And it came about in an era when, quite frankly, uh, there were a lot of like, Digital one issue apps where we were like, this is ridiculous. That's right. 
um, or publishers who were trying, and I will give them points for that, mm-hmm. releasing subpar mm. yes. proprietary digital comics apps. Yes. And Comixology really helped revolutionize that. Yeah, absolutely, because they yeah. sold way more comics than anybody yeah. well, else. Well, right, but they were also better. Yeah, and they it. were better. They were better. And, you know, and, and on that note, uh, Guided View, which is, I guess it's in limbo right now. I no, think. it's, no, Guided View is, is still, it working? Yeah. Guided View is still there. Uh, it's yeah. there. Uh, it just doesn't work as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, it works only on certain platforms. Yeah, it I doesn't see. necessarily work on some of the, the cloud platforms. Some of the cloud, some yeah. of the cloud platforms. Well, it does work on uh, mm-hmm. mobile. So. But on mobile, it doesn't, work as well oh, as okay. it used to. Mm-hmm. All right. uh, or at uh, least not for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, they also launched a, a digital comic self-publishing service called Comixology Submit, which has since now also been uh, subsumed into Kindle Digital Publishing. There's a digital comic subscription service, Comixology uh, Unlimited, um, and of course, Comixology Originals, uh, which is the uh, publishing impr- uh, imprint of the digital comics marketplace, which actually announced a deal today. Mm-hmm. To uh, license some of his comics mm-hmm. through through Delcourt to be translated. Oh, okay. Fran- yeah, fr- uh, I didn't. I didn't see that. So yes. yeah, yeah. You know. So um, you know, uh, uh, congrats to uh, David. Uh, wherever his his new assignment may take yeah. him, we, we'll we'll probably find out. You know, about I that. will say there was a lot of <clears throat> um, you know internet uh, speculation. Of, you know, he was planning this. That's why the move was awful. I mean, you know, just a lot of no. bull crap, uh, like you know, those, speculation. Those things People don't connect. Like, people. why would, why would, yeah. if he planned this, the move be awful? Right. But it would be a feather in his cap but, for the move to be good. Correct. And now that said, it is, I do think it is significant that, um, you know, once that, I mean, it's a, it, it closes this chapter. Well, right. Founders, or digital founders move on. Yes, right. they do. I think they he do. was yes. sticking around for the lifetime of the Comixology brand. He wanted to be there for the entire Comixology story. And now that it is no longer Comixology, okay, time for him to move on. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I think there's always some sort of transition plan yes. for, for founders and this is probably that as was good his. A time I as think any. he wanted yeah. to stick around yeah. until this transition happened. Yes. And absolutely. he did. And now he's moved on. Yeah. 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 There you go. All right. Moving on. Moving on. All right. Well, you know, speaking of moving on, um, Vault Comics as a company we've talked about a few times here. We've interviewed <laughs> a lot of folks involved with Vault over the years. On this podcast, uh, so in a story by Rob Salkowitz over on Forbes, talked talked about them. They did a round of funding, and uh, people gave them money, yes. but not just people. Some very interesting. Well, people. it was. A, it sounds like they got a whole bunch of folks to. <laughs> yes, they sure um, did. <laughs> yeah, to uh, to do, to pitch in. Uh, let's see who who do we have here. Well, you know, Metallica's funding. You know, there's a lot of entities out there that just have an investment group. So right, got, but it's not just one member. Of Metallica. Of it's media. Metallica as an as an entity yeah. collectively invested. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's 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 pretty it's a pretty interesting. I mean, they don't really say how much. Uh, the investment round was, but it no doubt is very significant. Yeah. Uh, UTA, the, uh, mm-hmm. the talent agency. Yeah. Um, um, Jeff Ubin, the activist investor. So we'll see what he does. I mean, it's just interesting people. These yeah. Interesting people. They're not where you would normally see an investment from. These are not small names. Like, 
I think it made a splash. Yeah, it, it really has. And as uh, accordingly, I went back to Heidi's original interview <laughs> with the CEO and the, and one of the co-founders, uh, Damien uh, Wassel, uh, from 2018. And it's more to come, uh, episode 306. And I think it's a fascinating interview, by the way. Mm. Um, I mean, I, you know, I can Didn't talk I about do it, it at San Diego. I thought no, I did it was at Emerald City. Right. I thought I did it. Yeah. It was yeah. out in the field. Uh, yeah. And I'm telling you what is impressive about it. I mean, we, we look, we've all seen all kinds of new ventures and yeah. startups that are media, have media connections or media aspirations. And uh, a and, lot of them are, uh, get rich quick schemes hey, that aren't very yeah. good as publishers and Vault exactly. is not that. And it's very obvious from that interview that he's very committed to the medium. Uh, that his sense of storytelling, uh, the close unit that the business is, cause it's basically, uh, family members is what's mm-hmm. his, uh, Nathan, uh, what's it, Nathan Gooden? Yeah. Uh, who's a fabulous artist. Um, and I forget the other guy who's, well, uh, it's the base brother, his uh, brother, uh, Dam- yes. Damien and Adrian. Russell. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, they put together some really good comics. Um, they've, they've really popped their sales up. Uh, at the U.S. Book Show, PW's, uh, BEA replacement last year, I had the pleasure of interviewing Brandon Sanderson, the mega, uh, p- uh, publishing, the mega fantasy author about publishing his first graphic novel, Dark One, through Vault. Yeah, and they put out Vagrant Queen, like a really amazing comic, um, and it, it had a sadly short-lived uh, sci-fi television show. I really do feel like it would have lasted longer had it not come out in the middle of the pandemic when it was hard mm. to film sci-fi on a budget. But, um, you know, that they had such a major sale so early and a really great comic so early is is big. Yeah. It's big. Yeah. And I do find it interesting that Sanderson publishes through them. He can publish anywhere, including – He can publish anywhere. He, he can publish himself, well, which he's I, been doing as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I've but, been, uh, you know, aware of the Wassel family for a long time, even hmm. before Vault Comics, because they um, have been publishing in different ways, and they launched it. And, you know, it's another thing. They're really a class act. I mean, Boy. you will never yeah. – I, I, I – I, you know, I don't want to tempt fate, but I'll just say, if you bring up Vault and the, the Wassel brothers, you're, you're generally going to get people saying, oh, I, I love them. They're so nice. I mean, they really have a great reputation. Right. It even- comes through in that interview. Excuse me. Go ahead. Go on. No, I'm just saying it comes through just what she's saying in the interview that you did with him. He sounds so reassuring, so down to earth. Yes, reassuring. He's very calm. He's, He's very, very calm, nice but you speaking. can clear his commitment and passion for comics, uh, and his ability to have fun. Um, and I think it translates into really thoughtful, really good comics. And importantly, it's not just that because they have the other side of the coin where they know what they're doing business wise and that yes. they are not, their eyes are not bigger than their stomach. They're not buying books that they can't pay for. They're not writing checks that they literally can't cash. You know, you, there are a lot of, well-meaning, comics-loving people in comics who want to become publishers and who are maybe not ready for the business angle of it. And that is not not the case with Vault. I haven't heard any business horror stories with them or even any, I don't know, man, the checks aren't coming in this month. Like you do see with some small publishers sometimes, you don't see that with Vault. And I I really respect that. Yeah, they've, they've really been very, you know, every once in a while, 
a company comes along. I will say, I remember a long, long time ago when there was a whole bunch of new periodical comics publishers, among them, boom, and then there was Speakeasy Comics, and there was another one that I don't even remember. And, you know, I profiled them all, but I could even then tell that boom was the one that really had a, a good, a good business model because they weren't expanding like crazy. Yes. And that's definitely true of Vault. They have never expanded in a, in a, you know, you know, crazy way. They've been very, very methodical about, you know, really bringing in up and coming creators. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. like, uh, like Ram V, you know, he was someone who was real yeah. up and comer. They got him and to do a whole bunch of books or Mags Visaggio. So, uh, you know, good taste yeah. and, and, um, you know, solid business sense. So I'm, it's no wonder that they went to these kind of top notch investor types and got some money out of them. So, and, well, and I even, mean, it's not no wonder because a lot of, there are a lot of solid businesses and comics that aren't flashy that can't get this kind of backing because they can't market. Vault must have marketed themselves really well. They even, managed to make it work. And even in 2018, uh, when they hadn't been in business more than about two years, if that long, I think, uh, they were announcing at the, and he was talking about the media deals that he had lined up. Well, I will say the Forbes article, Rob's article does bring up, um, uh, talks to a lot of, uh, the people involved, you mm-hmm. know. And look, we, we know that comics are beloved of the media, right? Uh, development. And there's just been a whole bunch of deals yeah. this week, which we'll get to later in the podcast. Yeah. But he called it, Rob Salkowitz calls it the Keanu effect, that the fact that the Berserker book did so well, uh, it's, uh he says, uh, it turns out that having an A-list celebrity with a good story to tell is an excellent recipe for selling a lot of comics. Yeah, but, I will say that Vault is not, and this is to their credit, is not a celebrity cash-in machine, mm-hmm. yeah. is not yeah. a tie-in cash-in machine, because there are a lot of flash-in-the-pan or still existing, but who cares, publishers that are always out there for that next money grab, and they end up making less money because they don't make a good product. This is not like, oh, the latest comic, which clearly has a character who looks just like the actor who supposedly wrote it, kind of publisher. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yep. But yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, it's it, it, a solid, interesting company. Uh, they treat people well. They, they make good books. And it looks like money's flowing in. So, well, we'll, we'll revisit them uh, for sure. All right. Well, uh, a longstanding company. That's been around uh, as DC Comics. They're still there. They sort of, you know, they moved out of their old office, uh, surviving. Uh, but now they have a huge, they just announced a really huge initiative for Pride Month. Right They there. are. So basically, publishers, including DC, over the last couple of years, have made some inroads, some noises about, oh, yes, yeah, gay pride, yeah, the one issue we bring out where we have this character you haven't seen for three years who comes in and has, like, three pages in an anthology comic where they're like, yep, still gay. Um, This is not that. <laughs> this is not that. There's clearly some time and money. I'm sorry, I'm going to wait for that to pass. some time and money and attention put into this by DC. Like, it is a big push. They have 
their own little DC Pride landing page already. Um, they're tying in a new Poison Ivy series to it. Um, they are bringing out not only the um, Tim Drake Robin bisexual reveal storyline, but in fact a um, a special collection which will not only have that storyline from Urban Legends, but will have a lot of the previous storylines from the past history of this character and the past history of Bernard, his love interest in that storyline. Um, just showing how it really does fit into this character's history and it isn't coming out of nowhere. Um, like, that's that's going to sell. That's going to sell. Um, because I admit, I tried to buy Trade of Urban Legends because I was interested <laughs> in that storyline. And I was like, oh, they're only collecting the other storylines. Ugh, that stinks. But this is why. This is why they were holding <laughs> that back for this. So uh, all is forgiven, DC. Aww. Um, <laughs> they are, are tying in their already announced, um, young adult graphic novel, Galaxy, The Prettiest Star. About an alien princess disguised as a human boy, which is sort of a trans allegory. Uh, that was already announced, but now it's going to be tied into this Pride initiative. Um, they are tying in Nubia, Queen of the Amazons, which has already been announced, but now it's going to be part of this Pride initiative, which gives us a little idea of what that's going to be like in some way, shape, or form. Um, they, they are tying in, like, bunch of stuff like it's going to be a major initiative like you it's like dc has announced an event and the mm. event is pride yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know what i will i will take the theme of the event being gay bi and trans people <laughs> over uh everyone gets brainwashed by aliens <laughs> um or you know suddenly gravity gets turned off it may be a little gimmicky, but I, as a non-straight person, accept being the new gimmick of the month. There you go. Nice. There you, go. you is, earned it. You know, <laughs> you know, there are worse gimmicks. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and there will definitely be more on this because we're going to be bringing you some coverage of this when those books come out. I, it's somebody, now I'm paraphrasing, uh, but somebody pointed out on Twitter that um, they had characters from all of their major um, franchises, like in the, yeah. in the promo, you know, and there is now significant queer characters, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, yeah, throughout um, the, all throughout the, the whole, list. the whole list, yeah. right? So they've, they've been around and, okay. Sometimes when a major comic book company starts to get enthusiastic about diversity, they take kind of a shotgun approach and they introduce like a million characters and never give them any chance to shine and then van vanish them into a closet somewhere and forget about them. Uh, some of these characters kind of have that past, but DC, I will give them this credit, have taken many of those characters back out of cold storage and have have let them slowly grow into consciousness of, of comics fans and, you know, sort of let them develop and let them germinate. And that's really what you need to do when you're adding new characters into your continuity yeah. firmament. You, you can't just have them show up full figured and have everyone be like, Oh, well, 
you know, this is this is the new Batman, and we all love him. Like, it takes a little takes, while to it, develop a character. It takes a long time, and because so many times when a character is introduced, you know, like the new Batman, the new Spider-Man, you know, they're killed off a year later. So, right. You know, it, like, like it's, readers, it's a trap. It it's is a trap. trap and no one readers, wants to identify because they know full well anyone yeah. who takes over a major character or a major title is more often than not doomed. Yeah. Not always, but more often than not. And so I really feel... I feel some respect for how DC appears to be mm-hmm. doing this because they aren't just doing one anthology with some characters you've never heard of or some characters they've made up just for this and they're going to yes. forget about. Mm-hmm. They're actually putting in the footwork and care. And, um, you know, if they live up to that, uh, it's it's going to be good. And I think those books are going to sell like hotcakes. I think it's it's really great. And I, I will say that, you know, Marvel also announced some pride um, some pride initiatives this week as well. And very amusingly, both Marvel and DC did very similar rainbow themed, like, it's almost like their designers sat down and said, Oh, this is how we're going to do it. Um, but, uh, you know, they did, but, but DC's by far much a lot better. more, I mean, much, much more extensive and mm. much more, uh, authentic, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Organic. Organic. Yeah. Yes, that's I mean, the word but I'm... who knows? Maybe next year they will have, uh, Rival pride initiatives trying to each out authentic and, you know, skill each other. And, uh, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Well, that, you know, uh, they, hopefully we're going to see more to come on that. Um, there was another, uh, I'm trying to find, okay, there was another milestone initiative. Yes, with the milestone initiative. Uh, it's not really, it's kind of, I think calling it an initiative is a little bit wrong. It's actually a program for yeah. creators that yes. they mm-hmm. announced. The, it is called the Milestone Initiative Program, so mm-hmm. that's why we're saying that. But yeah. it's not a publishing initiative. It's an actual uh, yeah. program designed to support and elevate emerging diverse writers and artists. It's like a mentoring program. Yes, it's a mentoring you know, or, program. Yeah. And, you know, DC has been doing this uh, for, for you know, different kinds of educational programs designed to bring in new creators or kind of give them some mentoring for quite a while. Um and uh, the list includes former PW intern Cheryl Lee. Oh, that's right. Cheryl Lee. Yes. I was like, there's right. a name here that looks very oh, familiar. Right. Yes, you uh, go, girl. Yes, yes. <laughs> Cheryl. Uh, you know, I can't. And there's actually some people on here who uh, are kind of a little established, like Jordan yeah. Clark. He's writing comics. Yeah, Greg a, Burnham. Uh, yeah, but it's yeah, a fantastic... Yeah, who does that Tuskegee Heroines oh, yeah, series, yeah. which is really beautifully illustrated by uh, what Marcus uh, uh, Williams, I believe, the artist. He, the Burnham writes it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think the, it, this thing is hella diverse. Uh, it it is. means it's... there's, what, 24 of these? Um, the, the inaugural class It's a 10-week program. They're gonna they're gonna have access access to everybody, uh, including Jim Lee, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. Dennis Cowens, Reggie Hudlin, of course, yeah. they're who are overseeing the 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 revival of the Milestone Media line. Yeah. Um. If you look through the 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 individual profiles of them, I mean, they're all over the place. They're the they're they're Latinx. They're mm-hmm. you know, they're they're black. They're, you know, there there's white folks in there. I mean, it's just a really great and. It looks, I mean, in the same exciting way you're talking about the pride, uh, this seems to be following suit. It doesn't seem like they're jiving around. No. 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 And it's uh, just some really, uh, great young creators. And, yeah. you know, this is, we need, we need this. I mean, yeah. we have a lot, listen, we have tons and tons 
of great new creators in the business, but you can never have too many. And, you know, I, I will say this, you know, as an editor myself and Calvin, I'm sure, you know, a lot of times it's just really hard to get people from marginalized groups to step up in the same way yes. that, um, you know, regular white Americans, you yeah. know, well, step up. I think that the, some of the boundaries yeah. have been taken yes. down. Yes. But yes. And I think also some of it's a trust issue. Oh, that's yes. what I'm saying. Absolutely. Because yes. to be frank, things that have been advertised in much the way this have, but have not had the bones to support it, have not had, you know, the, the mentoring aspect, the 10 week course, the background, all that good stuff. You know, they, they say like, oh, we're going to give diverse creators a shot. We're going yeah. to let them publish an eight page installment <laughs> in the special black history month issue. Yeah, and no. then you'll never hear of them again. Yes. And like, yeah, a lot of people have had their hearts broken a lot of ways, which is why, especially if you're part of corporate media, it can be a hard sell for understandable reasons. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, bait and switch. It really and is. this does not, at least on the surface, does not appear to be a bait and switch. It looks, it looks legit. It really does. Yeah. So, well, you know, we'll, uh, obviously we'll, we'll hear more about this, but, but really it's a, it seems like an impre- impressive, uh, launch. And good, you know, good for DC. Like, yeah, so, you obviously. know, they really have been through a lot as we talked about last time. Uh, and the fact that they're doing really inclusive, um, groundbreaking, Things like this is is awesome. Yeah, it's, and it may be a good way for them to regrow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, one more thing we didn't even have on our list, but I'm just going to throw in here, is that, um, so, as you know, uh, HBO and Discovery Media have entered into a relationship, and we were wondering what was going to happen to DC-related content now that they were under Discovery instead of HBO. Um, but, uh, one thing is interesting is that the, the discovery streaming service and the HBO streaming service are going to become one and the same. So, uh, you HBO mm. subscribers, mm. You, you don't need to move. You don't need to switch to discovery. Discovery will come to you. <laughs> uh, okay. more to come on that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, just, uh, Briefly here, I'm going to just mention that um, uh, we've got a couple of stories over on uh, publishersweekly.com slash comics that you might want to check out. Um, uh, we have a uh, an interview uh, by Bridget Alverson of, of Alex Segura um, about his new novel, Secret Identity. Uh, I think we call it a, a perfect reflection of his of Alex's multifaceted career. Uh, it's a story set in a mythical comics company in New York City in 1975. And it's a murder mystery, um, but it kind of reflects everything that Alex does, who is a, besides being a, actually a comics publishing executive, he's a, a, an award-winning, um, crime novelist and a, and a comics writer, uh, has worked in the business for years, first at Archie, I mean, first at DC, then Archie, now he's an executive at Oni Press. Uh, so check it out. It's a, an interview about the book, uh, which sounds like a lot of fun. Which has gotten rave reviews. It's gotten rave reviews and like, everywhere. You know, New York Times, like, go read it this yes. weekend. And, you know, and yes. listen, I mean, Alex, you often listen to the podcast. And so right. probably, uh, you know, we always say glowing things about you, but we love you. Yes. And so uh, you could not happen to a, a better person or yeah. somebody who's worked harder, who's worked a- harder. Absolutely. It's just stuck with it. Yeah. And this is not going to be a bimbos of the death son situation. <laughs> um, 
I uh, hope not. No, 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 no. That's a that's <laughs> that is a um. Let's put it this way: it is a mystery novel written many years ago, set in the world of science fiction conventions. Oh, yeah. That was clearly written by an author who disliked science fiction conventions deeply. <laughs> um, and this is this is not that. Segura is loves the comic industry. Yes, is coming for, at it from a place of love. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so check out the interview, and also uh, just just as a shout out to or a, to the the terrifically talented Ronald Wimberly. Uh, he's got a new project out that he's crowdfunding. It's called Grotnin. Uh, uh, what is it? For gratuitous, gratuitous ninja. ninja. Yeah. Uh, and it's <laughs> aren't all ninjas in fiction gratuitous? You, you, you could make that claim. Um, uh, but, uh, this is a, this is a story that actually was originally, uh, published on one of the, uh, the Webtoon platforms. Well, I, it's on Webtoons now. I don't think it was originally on that. Um, and he's, by sleight of hand, he's done a, an interesting conceptual, uh, trick by taking these comics that were designed to be read on a vertical scroll on a phone and turned them into a paper print accordion folded 600 page graphic novel didn't he do that for uh one of those phone things that had the weird name it was yes. not webtoon it was that no. standalone it was, it was like yes like it was one of the early or blapis or i can't remember exactly or... but yes but it somehow has migrated actually to webtoon yeah. now where you can where you can actually get the whole thing for free should you want but uh He's crowdfunding it right now. Uh, I think they've got about three quarters of the money. Uh, he's, he's crowdfunding quite a bit of money. It's like about $75,000. But it looks like he's getting there pretty quickly. It, it, it just in a couple of days. But it's really, um, a, an imaginative rethinking or repositioning of, uh, these digital comics into a print comic. So check it out. The story is of a mysterious group of, uh, of ninjas that live in Brooklyn and run a community center on the Gu- yeah. Gowanus Canal. No, I remember reading it when it came out on <laughs> yeah. Bluppus and really liked it. And it's, um, a, it's an alternative guide to New York City. Yeah. You, you really could uh, say that. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, breeze. we mentioned that we'd have a couple of, uh, you know, media announcements. So just, you know, it, de- it never stops. Um, they, the Kate Beaton, uh, who's going to have a huge year. And it turns out that Apple is going to debut a comment, a, a cartoon on Apple Plus on April 8th. So it's just three weeks, uh, you know, but the news just came out today. So they didn't do a big lead up to it. Uh, but it's based on her, uh, pony comment, yeah. her pine, pine cone, cone and, pony, and pony, or, you know, her, 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 uh, roly poly pony, uh, book. And, uh, yeah, so they're doing the, the cartoon. That has a lot of great people attached to it. And, uh, yeah, get your, uh, you know, before your Ted Lasso, if you still have, happen to have an Apple Plus subscription, you can watch this Kate Beaton cartoon. Um, yeah. and, and hopefully, hopefully it will be followed by maybe a Kate Beaton humor cartoon for adults. We can, we can live in hope. Yeah. Yeah. Sure would be nice. Yes. Uh, well then we, uh, have also, uh, Mark Wade and uh, right. Peter Krause's Irredeemable series, which came out from Vault, like, or not Vault, excuse me, Boom, quite a while ago. And it's actually one of the first kind of big titles for Boom. Back, yeah. it came out, like, I think in 2009. And yeah, it was one of their first big titles aimed at actual adults. Yes, mm-hmm. that's and right. And it's being directed by James Samuel, the director of mm-hmm. The Harder They Fall, the um, hit Western movie that came out this year starring Idris Elba at all. Oh, right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I saw that. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I mean, that man can direct action in a stylish and unique way. Yes. 
Uh, I say this as someone who normally is not like Calvin's usually the one who's like, oh, they filmed this action in a boring way or <laughs> they filmed that action really well. And normally I'm like, I don't, I don't care. But uh, the harder they fall, the harder they fall was very visually stylish yes. in a way that even I noticed. Without a doubt. Uh, putting yeah. this man on uh, a superhero story that is as unique as Mark Wade's irredeemable and incorruptible will be visually unique too. Yeah. I am looking forward to it. I think. Did you read the, the series it. when it came out, Kate? Not right when it came out. I sort of heard about it and then happened upon it a year or so later. Yeah, Didn't in that way, one does start on that uh, uh, kind of digital startup that Wade Thrill had... bent. Uh-huh. No, I don't think it no? did. I think it started. I think it started yeah. at Boom. But, yeah. but yeah. You know, Mark has. Yeah, Mark's one of the many people who's done. Um, He's taking you know. things all kinds of places. But, you yes, know, yes, now I'm done, curious. Yeah. I need to look that up. But uh, anyway, the story, it actually has a companion book called Incorruptible. Yes. And, yeah, the, and they've it, licensed the two together. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and the, and the story is, uh, you know, it kind of fits in, I think, with the dystopian superhero stuff that, that's actually gaining popularity, mm-hmm. like the boys right. in Peacemaker, where yeah. the world's greatest superhero... Uh, suddenly turns evil. The only person who can stop him is his nemesis, the supervillain nemesis. And uh, so we see a big switch in the, in the, uh, roles of hero and villain. And, uh, so that's an irredeemable. And then an incorruptible, we kind of see the story from the villain's point of view and it p- kind of picks up right. from his point of view. It, it, it's good that one, it's good that it went in that order because irredeemable is, I mean, look at the title. It's, yeah. It's very dark, but incorruptible is kind of the bright side to that is is a a genuine redemption story and that's that's worth something um i'm glad they came out in that order because all too often it's just oh this is super gritty oh what's the point of that well the point is that it's super gritty (laughs) um but you know you can trust mark wade to see a little bit more sunshine than that so i think i think it's got some heart and i think it's got some potential Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agreed. Absolutely agreed. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, a couple, we didn't have this on the story list, but I actually wanted to quickly note, um, a whole bunch of new little startup-y kind of, uh, dealies. You know, I don't think we talked about Sandstorm. Did we talk about uh, that? We is didn't. A, no, that is a new Abu Dhabi comics, uh, comics imprint, mm-hmm. and they are looking to find the local talent and, uh, you know, put out their work and get it before the world stage. Uh, Sandstorm, and they have Ku Yu Liang and uh, Matt Hawkins as um, as consultants for that. And okay. then, you know, Dark Horse, talk about the media connection. They announced that Kevin Smith was getting oh, right. his own imprint oh. at Dark Horse. It's called Secret Stash Press. And I'll start with, uh, quote, masquerade, an eight-issue masked Avenger tale about a budding vigilante. You might recall that Kevin Smith was the person who had Batman pee his bat suit. So yeah. you can just see where that will come from. Yeah. And then... Quick Stops, which is an anthology that's set with the whole, you know, view, askew, clerks, small you know, rats clerks world. Uh, you know, mm. listen, Kevin Smith has definitely built up a huge yeah, universe yeah, yeah. in well, his time. So I, I have to say what I want from Kevin Smith is if you if you guys haven't seen the various like Evening with Kevin Smith specials where he's telling outrageous stories from that he's encountered in Hollywood or just dealing with Hollywood stuff and Hollywood people and making movies. I want, I honestly want Kevin Smith to turn those into a memoir comic. Hmm. It would be an amazing, hilarious memoir comic that would actually play to his strengths. Because 
I I don't necessarily always like what he does with superheroes or anything like that, but I absolutely want to see what he does with Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, listen, Kevin Smith is really the first major nerd liberty, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, he's really stuck with comics. He's never, he's always really given comics and the comics aesthetic a huge place in his work. And his work is very much a piece of it. So, you know, give him his online Dark Horse, a smart move there. Um, finally, just as a, uh, Time Bomb Comics, which mm. is a, based in Birmingham, UK, has done a deal with the Anderson Entertainment, which, uh, things like New Captain Scarlet. Does anybody remember that? I think maybe they know it in England, but not here. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's one of those things that never really translated to the yeah, United States. So, but you know, new deals everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we're ready for the briefs. Yeah. And yes, we are. We actually do have one brief, and it is quite brief, but it is deeply amusing. <laughs> um, there have been some crazy superhero tie-ins over the years, but the Batman, a singularly dark and gritty and serious take on Batman with a eccentric character actor playing the role has an eccentric but really not dark at all tie-in, perhaps the silliest superhero tie-in I've ever seen. The bat symbol-shaped pizza. Oh, I'm sorry, calzone. Yes. From um, Little Caesars. Now, on Heidi's wonderful blog, The Beat, comicsbeat.com, there is a review complete with highly illustrative pictures of a man faced with the Little Caesars Batman Calzone <laughs> and and uh, reviewing it as earnestly as as any Batman movie. Uh, spoiler alert, the movie is better than the pizza dish. Yeah. Well, it's it's vast. He I, I think we I think it's Joe Grunewald who wrote the piece told me um, you know, he said it was a lot like Batman fighting a crime war and that he couldn't do it alone. He couldn't well, eat I mean, the calzone it, on his it own. Is, it is a pizza. I mean, we, you're not we, supposed to eat the whole pizza. Well, a calzone is not well, is a pizza, but it's the elements of the pizza are put together in a different format. Yeah, yeah but so, this is – okay. It's uh, a deep dive, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> to it's, it's really pizza. to be shared. I mean, basically <laughs> what they do is they cut into a pizza – and then they fold it in a very special way to make it look like a bat symbol and, you know, it gets puffy and sandwichy and calzone-ish in the middle. Yeah. yeah. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's because... A it, thing I'm not going to eat. No. Yeah. But the pepperoni looked pretty good. Well, if you're starving, you will eat. You know. <laughs> if I was in the wilderness, I would eat little seeds. Well, it was a major you know. photo shoot. There's like about... Ten photographs of that pizza in that article. <laughs> well, but I mean, that's what makes it so funny. So we, you know. Well, shout outs to Joe Grunewald. He, yes, he really yes. has he, suffered for his art. He suffered for his art, and he wrote a really hilarious piece. So, Kate, thank you for calling it out. <laughs> yeah, go. he suffered. You know, he deserves some, some, you know, the commendation of a purple heart, perhaps. Absolutely. This is the funniest comics-related food item I have heard of since Dunkin' Donuts had a Captain America donut that was. I swear to God, uh, vanilla <laughs> and cherry. And listeners, yes, this 
this donut what was, was, what was <laughs> this donut was a double entendre <laughs> about Captain America, and right. no one could figure out whether that was on purpose or not. I see. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, you have given me an idea, though. Probably should just do a whole like website about superhero food. I guess. You know, or a YouTube series, perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah, I think that video. would be better. Something yeah. to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Something to think. All right. And on that note, there will be more to come.